Welcome to the Arendt We Live number five. And today we are looking at the new normal in 2022, evolution or revolution. Delighted to be joined today on our panel by Astrid Wagner, partner in the IP communication and technologies practice, Philippe Schmidt, an employment law partner, Thierry Lesage, a tax partner, and Marc Mouton, the banking and financial services partner. Now, we were all told to expect a revolution in the way that we work, but for many, it's back to business as usual. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen of the panel, if you had to describe the current situation in one word, what would you say, Philip Schmidt? Hi, Jim. Well, indeed, when the crisis started back in spring 2020, there was an expectation that the work environment would shift very quickly. Everyone expected to be working from home or from a remote place uh, for a long period of time. Office buildings would remain empty. But basically, when you took your car today to, to drive to work, you will notice that traffic jams are back again and so that people are working um, in the premises again. There are of course some clients of ours who are still working in a remote setup but most are back to the office. So, so what's your one word Philippe? So I would say there is an evolution clearly. Fantastic thank you. Uh, I'm going to come to Thierry Lesage. Thierry, uh, firstly quick good afternoon. Good afternoon Jim. Thierry what's your one word? It's a significant evolution. Um, it is clear that from a tax perspective um, the um, tax rules governing cross-border home working uh, are not new. Uh, but these rules uh, have been uh, suspended during the pandemic. And um, we have seen in the, in the meantime a, a general recourse to home working. So certain habits that have been uh, taken by employers and employees uh, during the pandemic uh, will have to be revisited once the, the pandemic will be declared over. Now, Mark Mouton, how about you? What's one word for us? Well, my word would be acceleration, because I think what we have seen is that there has been an evolution, but in a very accelerated manner. We have things, seen things like remote working, uh, electronic signatures, remote onboarding of clients. These are things that existed before the pandemic, but... Uh, the kind of acceleration of the use of uh, this kind of system has been dramatic, I think, with the pandemic. Now, Astrid Wagner, what's your word? If I have to choose one word, that would be digital. Um, operating the new model would not be possible without um, a digitalization. Now, we were all actually told to expect a revolution in, in the way that we work, but uh, for many, uh, I suspect they would describe it as being back to business as usual. Now, over the last two years, many of us have had to uh, radically adapt our own way of working, combining it with our personal lives, whilst at the same time producing the same value to our organizations, such as Societe Generale that announced that their staff will be able to take two days of home working per week on an ongoing basis. PwC uh, is planning the opening of satellite offices, including in the Mondorf spa center, but not everyone is adopting this approach. Uh, now, where people work is only one issue. How we work in a new digital environment has the potential to create new jobs and eliminate others. And with change comes new challenges. Uh, for example, is data any more at risk than it was in the office, for example? Uh, now, the change in the way we work also could have an impact on our tax bills. Uh, and looking forward to hearing Thierry's uh, advice on that. 
So, Philippe, I'm going to start with you. Um, is this really a, a revolution, or are you more in favour of this word evolution? Well, you're right, Jim. Um, I guess we are not facing the revolution some of us were expecting, but there is a very clear trend to much more flexible working model, both in terms of location where you work and also working hours. But of course, our mindset about how we work has been shaped over decades. So it's um, understandable that we cannot change this overnight and that flexibility has to come step by step. And we see that it is gaining uh, momentum. But of course, there are some restrictions. And I guess that Thierry will tell us more about the, the tax restrictions, for example, that we are facing. So I would say the great rush towards more flexibility is taking place, but to a lesser extent um, than what we expected. And what we also see on the market is that a lot of employers are waiting to see what their competitors are doing. So nobody wants to be the first mover and everyone is like looking what is the neighbor doing. So uh, uh, from your perspective, are you saying that we're back to business as usual? Oh no, don't get me wrong, Jim. I guess um, that things are changing. And from a human perspective and uh, labor market perspective, we need more flexibility to attract and retain talents because the labor market is quite aggressive as we speak. A lot of traditional businesses have gone digital, so it's easier for them uh, to work remotely in a more flexible fashion. But Luxembourg has a very unique workforce where a lot of um, employees are working or living abroad. And so that um, puts some restrictions to the flexibility that we are facing. But we see when speaking to our clients that some come up with very innovative uh, solutions like setting up satellite offices. Before the pandemic, there was uh, a trend, I would say, to close down offices outside the main offices. But now we see the opposite trend, that some companies maintain those offices and use them to help employees living abroad to have shorter traveling time to, uh, to work and to work from those satellite offices. Uh, and what about the obligations of the employer? Uh, have they been challenged, do you think, by this pandemic? When you speak about obligations, you would first think about legal obligations. But I think that the first obligation is a human obligation that you have to face the labor market today with increased flexibility, both in working hours and the, the place where employees work. We have the younger generation, which was claiming for much more flexibility even before the pandemic. But there are also, of course, regulatory and legal obligations, uh, like from a tax and social security perspective, as an employer, you have to notify the social security authorities when employees are working remotely. And there is another obligation that they will face, and I guess we will talk about that a little bit later, which is the obligation to trust your employees when they are working in a more flexible model. Goodness, trust. Uh, what a wonderful term that is. Uh, I don't know, Thierry, do you trust the people that are working for you remotely? Sure, sure. Um, it, it, it's essential. Um, without uh, a deep relation of trust, it cannot work. Astrid, how about the lawyers that are working in your team? Do you keep a, a watchful eye on what they're doing? Hmm. Um, as Thierry said, trust is key. And um, I think that is also a decision which you have to take as an employer to trust your people. Otherwise, um, you can, there are certain means to, um, to uh, control, to monitor what employees are doing, but there are uh, legal limitations to that, of course. Um, but I think that trust is necessary also to motivate our workforce and to empower them. Um, so we have to take that decision. It is as simple um, as that. Philippe? Well, 
as Rid is talking about trust and obligation to trust employees, which is of course correct, but you also need to train, I guess, your managers who are supervising staff and employees so that they can adapt to this new way of working because it's very different to overview the work of employees when you are in the premises, but when you have to do this remotely, you have to learn also to trust uh, your, your team and your, the employees that you are overlooking. Mm. Astrid? Yeah, and maybe if I can also come back to what I said previously. So trust is fine, but certain companies, they are subject to a professional secrecy um, and they cannot just simply rely on trust. I mean, we as lawyers, it's the same. It's the same for banks um, and so on. So there, the element of trust is important um, in your relationship with your employers, but, but you still need um, to, um, to implement certain uh, control measures in order uh, to make sure that your data is adequately um, protected. And there, um, our clients often forget um, that there is also uh, data protection and employment law aspect to that because there are uh, specific information obligations um, uh, if you implement um, um, surveillance uh, measures. Um, you have, for example, um, companies which uh, the regulated entities which do have IT tools uh, which are able to see from where which from which area an employee is connecting to the servers and um, whether that is during business hours or outside the business hours. But the um, ultimate goal behind is always to uh, protect um, the IT systems and to, uh, so if you see that an employer has worked until the end of the day from an area around Luxembourg and two hours later that same um, employee will connect from another completely other corner of the world obviously that is uh, an attack by um, an outside attack uh, on the system goodness me i mean mark from your perspective regulated entities must have had a nightmare trying to monitor this process <laughs> well indeed i would say in the regulated sector we we also have this uh, wish to be more flexible and and and, and to base on trust but as astrid just mentioned uh you need to organize this also properly. And, and for this, the, the regulator clearly expects you to set up a framework so that uh, this, this new normal of, of remote working is being done in an orderly framework and, and that kind of the, the quality and the security of financial services is maintained. So, so there, I think Astrid already mentioned a number of uh, technical measures to kind of monitor how uh, this is being done from where uh, the activities are being done. And, and, and there is a whole number of measures uh, in this area, and I will just name a few. So you have to properly document uh, your approach in this respect in a policy. You need to make sure that at the various levels of management, the approach is being approved. Uh, we already discussed the use of specific technology so that the regulated entity keeps control uh, of, for example, laptops and, and other devices that are being used even to be able to remotely shut them off or, or, or wipe the data on them. Uh, the workers should not work from wherever they want, but as Astrid said, um, the idea is that they should work from a space where they can quickly return uh, to the office where this is necessary. Uh, there are also risk assessments depending on what tasks. You know, not every person has the same role or an activity with the same sensitivity that can so easily be, be done remotely. So we see that there are kind of whole level of controls that are being set up so that 
this flexibility is nevertheless organized in, in an orderly manner. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also seems, um, the, we mentioned the magic word where in terms of uh, whether our employees are potentially crossing borders before they come to work or, or not. Uh, I mean, Philippe, perhaps I can, I sh- can I start with you? Do you think companies have really had to think through a strategy about how they manage their workforce uh, and is a factor of that based on where their employees are coming from? Yeah, so we see two different trends, I would say. Um, on the one hand, you have companies who try to, to, to have a rather conservative approach, and so they would uh, align on the tax constraints, um, both in terms of location and duration of remote working. And then you see a second kind of, um, of clients who are asking you to implement working, uh, home working policies or distance working policies with a lot of flexibility also in terms of location. So there are some companies who say, I basically don't care um, where my employees are as long as they do the work, even if they do it uh, on the beach or next to a pool, that's fine with me as long as work is done. But I guess that um, this also bears its uh, load of risk from a tax perspective. As Thierry... um Sure. I mean, Thierry, my 10 staff want to go and work next to a pool in Spain. How is that going to fix with my tax impact? Well, there are <laughs> there are many tax angles to to, to that question, and maybe uh, let me first set the scene. Uh, I think it's important to understand where we are coming from and where we are heading to. Um, many uh, double tax treaties uh, in the world, uh, concluded between neighboring countries, conclude so-called frontier workers provisions, and in these provisions, you have contracting states agreeing to tax uh, employees, um, cross-border employees or frontier workers in their country of residence. And due to its its very specific uh, labor market situation, uh, Luxembourg has never agreed to to these provisions. And in in, in this typical case, uh, the Luxembourg uh, employers using uh, workforce in neighboring countries have always had these uh, employees taxable exclusively in Luxembourg. Um, But there is a but. Um, Normally, it's only to the extent that the work is actually performed in Luxembourg. And in that respect, um, in the past, the tax authorities in the neighboring countries um, did not really care about the days of work not actually performed uh, in Luxembourg. Over over the years, um, this has become uh, a growing concern. They have realized that there was easy money to collect and say, oh, you are spending some days working from home or working abroad, but not in Luxembourg. It means that I am entitled uh, to to collect some, some taxes. You are no longer taxable in Luxembourg, but in Germany, France, uh, or Belgium. Uh, This situation has uh, inevitably led to double taxation situations. And uh, we have had uh, negotiations uh, made between the the Lux tax authorities and their Belgian, uh, French, and German counterparts in order to define some de minimis allowances. So defining a certain number of days uh, per year, which were allowed to be worked outside of Luxembourg 
without becoming taxable in the country of residence. As we all know, during the pandemic, uh, all, um, all, all cross-border workers were unable to, to commute uh, generally. And so these basic tax rules have been suspended. And these cross-border workers have remained exclusively taxable in Luxembourg, despite the fact that they were working remotely from, from their home. Once uh, the, the, the pandemic uh, will be declared over and the, the current suspension of rules will be lifted, um, we will face a new tax re reality. And so the, the habits that were taken by employees uh, will have to be uh, revisited in the light of these tax rules. Philippe? Well, we, we have a very similar arrangement um, when it comes to social security. Um, there's a European regulation which says that basically you pay social security contributions in the county where you work. So um, a commuter living outside Luxembourg but working in Luxembourg in principle pays social security in Luxembourg and the employer pays contributions as well in Luxembourg. However, if that employee decides to work from home, so outside Luxembourg, there's a threshold of 25% maximum time spent in the county of residence where the employee will not be subject to foreign social security. So in other words, if a commuter exceeds this 25% threshold, in that case, you will have to, to switch the employee from Luxembourg Social Security to foreign Social Security. And we are, of course, very lucky in Luxembourg to have um, a well-performing Social Security system where contributions are rather reasonable compared to other countries. So there is an additional restriction in addition to those mentioned by Thierry um, that as an employer, you might face the risk that your employees will have to be registered outside Luxembourg with a social security system where contributions could be higher than in Luxembourg. So you might potentially facing additional costs by granting flexibility which goes beyond those thresholds uh, Thierry mentioned before and the social security threshold. So what you're saying is that as the pandemic comes to an end and as the, uh, the rules become unfrozen, Therefore, this factor will drive cross-border workers, whether they like it or not, back to working more in Luxembourg, Thierry. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, because the, the consequences are very significant for the employers. And so a strict monitoring uh, and observance uh, of, these, uh, of these limits uh, will have to be performed by, uh, by employers. And who's keeping, who's keeping tabs on all of this where our staff are workers? Who, who has the obligation to keep a record, for example, on, wh on where I'm working? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, the employer uh, in the first instance. But what we see in practice is that when employers put into place uh, flexible working policies, they also ask the employees to track the number of days and the, the amount of time spent outside Luxembourg um, so that you have let's say a double control so that you have the tracking made by the employer and the employee. Hopefully you have the same result. Um, but basically, um, I would say from my perspective, from the employment law perspective, it's like a shared obligation where both parties um, have the same interest and you have to keep uh, a very <laughs> close eye on working from outside yeah. Luxembourg. And, and, and very precisely, and because the, the risks uh, in case these uh, thresholds are, are exceeded. The risk will be for the employer as well. So uh, a strict monitoring by the employer as well is, is really key. And Belgium, Germany, France, are they all equally eager to generate more tax revenue? Um, they, uh, yeah, they could. 
they could, uh, but n the number of days um, that, uh, that, uh, that are allowed or that will be allowed going forward uh, depend on the countries. So we will know for sure uh, once the pandemic will be, uh, will be declared over uh, because the suspension for the time being uh, is supposed to be lifted uh, as from January uh, 2022. Um, for the moment, it's going to be a maximum of 19 days for Germany allowed to be uh, worked outside of Luxembourg in order to exclusively remain taxable uh, in Luxembourg. And for uh, France and Belgium, uh, this is to be confirmed, but it's supposed to be uh, 34 days for both countries. Right. So it's not an awful lot. Um, I'm going to come back to geography a little bit later on. Now, I'd like to just refer to this rather tricky issue of digitalization that we know was already underway. But um, Astrid, from your perspective, what are the key areas of concern from a, a legal standpoint? Mm -hmm. For me, the um, major point of concern is cybersecurity, actually. So if a company now in this new model is... Um, working remotely so its employees are working from home but it also has its business relationship with its customers its suppliers everything is organized in a digital way even the production would be uh, linked to the internet uh, we, we don't even have a printer here uh, inside Arendt house which is not in a way uh, linked to the internet um, and um, and so there is this risk of cyber security um, and, and, and for that, um, companies must be prepared, must be um, aware of this risk. Um, so my recommendation would be to start with training the staff. And that is not only um, the, the, the normal uh, staff, but also uh, the board level and sea level um, to raise their awareness um, and also to make regular, um, regular maturity assessments of their um, IT systems. So generally, um, if there is a cybersecurity incident, it is due to an external malicious act. However, it is generally um, only uh, becoming, so the risk really materializes with the help of um, employees, but um, which is just due to human error. So that's why it becomes so important um, to raise this awareness of, of the stuff at all um, levels and then obviously internal policies have to be um, put in place and it is important to really at the level of the board to take um, to be conscious of the fact that um, investments have to be made um, in that field. So I, I don't know Philippe when you took this job did you realize uh, that you were going to have to become an IT expert? Oh definitely not definitely <laughs> not but um, I, I can confirm what Astrid says, that training is uh, very important. So uh, we see a lot of questions from employers. Uh, how can I train my employees? Where can I train them? Who pays for the training? So a lot of questions. And I think this is really money worth investing to make sure that your data is uh, protected. Is this the same for regulated entities? Absolutely. And, and training is even mandatory for, for regulated entities. So I think... Because in terms of cybersecurity, I think one key point is considered that awareness of the risk mm -hmm. and, and knowledge of what could create risk is one of the key factors. So uh, th th that is something which must be established and, and with a training plan, uh, a duly documented one, uh, next to, to, to a number of other requirements. And I think what to, to come back what Astrid said, I think these are obviously uh, elements that are make a lot of sense for any type of business but i would say 
in, in the regulated space, you, you, you even have a, a mandatory layer of, of what you have to do on top of that. So uh, you have to have a proper uh, specific security policy for, for teleworking. Uh, in order the devices you are using and the connections you are using for, for teleworking, you have to have specific encryption mechanisms. You have to have two-factor authentication when the employees connect uh, to the systems. You have to have this kind of detection of normal uh, type of connections. All of this must be properly locked so that you can audit what happened if, if there was an issue. So, so, so indeed, I think that's a key, a key concern in, in the regulated space as well. So are you saying, would I be safer as an employee actually taking my client papers home? What do you think, Astrid? <laughs> um, it's a funny question because generally um, in, in internal policies, you, uh, you would uh, not allow to your employees to take papers home, but also not to send professional emails to their private email address. Um, and I think that one uh, important element here is that if you have these internal uh, policies which um, impose restrictions on your employees, you must do that in a way to get their, their buy-in. You really um, have to have your um, employees on board. So if, um, if you want them in the evening to read a long document uh, while being at home, um, then, for example, one uh, solution would be that you uh, provide them a second screen uh, for their computer at home. And so that they do not need to print it out if you do not want them to take either the paper home or uh, that they send it to their private email address and that they can uh, print it out um, at home. Philippe? And I guess this is also an additional obligation for the employers because as an employer you have to make sure that your employees are working in a safe and a healthy work environment. So you also have to make sure that your employees, when you want them to work from home, or if you allow it, you need to make sure that they are working in good conditions. So basically that, as Astrid mentioned, that they have a second screen, that they have uh, an adequate chair. And so that their place of working remotely is um, a place where they can perform well their job and comply with their own obligations. And if you had to make an estimated guess here in Luxembourg, do you think banks, uh, if you had to score the industry out of 10 in terms of equipping their staff with the good enough IT equipment, wh where, where are we, Thierry? What would you say out of 10? Um, it's very difficult, I think, to, to give a generic answer to that because it very much depends on, uh, on, the, um, on the companies, uh, their, their, uh, their, their personal evolutions and their IT infrastructures. Um, when 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 we discuss teleworking as well, I think that one, one very a very important factor is, is the human capital elements. Um, we 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 have a situation where uh, the physical interaction between people uh, is a is a key component of the of the human capital of a company, and. Um, the importance of this human interaction very much depends on the business, of course. Just to take two extreme examples, um, when uh, if you have a, a, a company providing translation services, you can perfectly imagine that each um, translator works independently from home, as the case may be, doing his job um, without having to interact on a regular basis with colleagues because you work on your document and uh, it can be reviewed by uh, by a supervisor but uh, once it's done uh, it's just uh, it's just over uh, need, need for interaction is very limited but 
Another example uh, is, uh, is a professional services firm, like in our case, a law firm, an accounting firm, an audit firm, um, teamwork, um, training on the job. These are key factors. And so you need some social interaction and uh, there, is a, there is a limit to uh, teleworking in that respect. So from your perspective, actually, the human capital is even more important than the IT question, yes. really. Yes. Uh, yes, I think so. What do you think, Mark? Yes, I, I, I think today uh, what, what I see at least in the regulated space is, is that players now are, are quite well equipped. But I, I think where the real challenge was that was actually at the start of the pandemic where because remote working was really not something that was encouraged in the financial industry at the time. And we had from one day to another, uh, you had hundreds and hundreds of employees. Suddenly, you, you had no choice but to, to work remotely. So I think we have come a long way. And, and that's a bit uh, going back to what we said earlier, that there was kind of a real evolution and a quick evolution that within one year, we, we, we came from a very limited set of homeworking to, to something that's now very nevertheless is established. When I come back to what Thierry mentioned before, he talked about the human capital, human interaction. I think we should not forget it also some kind of flexibility which people are, are looking for now are working hours. So it's not only um, flexibility in terms of where do I work from, but also when do I work. And that's something which we see also in policies we are drafting for our clients that it's very important when you have flexible working hours that you define core working hours where all of your employees are in the premises even if around those core hours people might have flexibility, I think it's very important that even if employees are in the premises or even working remotely, that they work at the same time, or at least that there is an overlap so that there can be um, an interaction and this um, human capital can be uh, valued. Because Luxembourg was quite old-fashioned, wasn't it? I remember when I first signed my first job contract in Luxembourg and I saw the working hours were 8 a.m. until 12 a.m., two-hour lunch break, and then two until six. I was coming from London, and I thought, who has a two-hour lunch break? What sort of country is this? Uh, are you saying that flexible working is now going to become the norm? I guess we are going towards uh, a model that you experienced uh, already in the UK. There, there is some additional flexibility, and you also see that due to the traffic situation in Luxembourg, we need this flexibility. If everyone is uh, driving into uh, Luxembourg City at 8 a.m. in the morning, um, it will not be possible. In, in a few months, the traffic situation will be too difficult. So it's important that people have this flexibility. Maybe you start your working day uh, from home. You work one or two hours, and then you drive uh, into the office. But there again, we have some restrictions from a tax perspective that even if you start your working day and you spend the rest of the day in the office, you might face restrictions. But maybe Thierry can, can detail this. No, you, you, you're right. Um, so um, you have a very limited uh, number of days which will be allowed going forward for these cross-border workers to work uh, in, in their home country without uh, becoming taxable in, in, in this country. And if you have partial days uh, that are um, worked at home, these will be counted as full days and for the 19 or 34 days limit. So it's, um, it's going to have a, a huge impact. But, but I, I agree also to, to this kind of core working hours. I think that there's a limit to flexibility, or at least in the regulated space, because the regulator expects the key functions nevertheless to be there and working at the same time, because you cannot have a situation where 
let's say the manager of one department is working in the morning, uh, the, the, I don't know, the compliance officer is only there in the afternoon and kind of the, these key functions can no longer kind of work together in, in a useful manner. So I think it, it must, the flexibility always has its limits that the entity can have less function in an efficient and correct manner. So Although Mark, I must say, I received a letter from the CSSF the other day and the email was sent to me on Sunday. So even they're working <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, do you think is working on Sunday going to become... Uh, do, who here works on a Sunday from time to time? Philippe, do you work on a Sunday? Well, I must admit that I'm a fan of flexible working hours. So um, I guess you have two different approaches. Either you say um, work is done in the premises during working hours and it remains there. When I go home, that's my private life and I don't want um, professional life to interfere with that. Or you say, I want flexibility, but then you have to accept as well that you need to be flexible. You need maybe to, to work on weekends or longer hours, but I guess that's the counterpart of flexibility that you have. And that's something that we see when we talk to clients that they say some employees are just not prepared for, for working in a more flexible fashion mm -hmm. because they, they, they count their, their working hours by the minute. And that's not possible. When you're working in a flexible work environment, you need to, to show some flexibility mm -hmm. and that goes into two directions. It's not uh, a one direction uh, situation. Astrid, are you a fan of this flexibility? Uh, yes, um, I'm certainly a fan of that, um, especially I have young kids. So um, it is great if I can go home in the evening, have dinner with them and then reconnect um, if I uh, want or need. <laughs> um, and and I see that um, also with the members of my of my team, they are um, happy to, um, um, to to be flexible. I mean, they do not need to uh, inform me if they work later in the evening. And obviously, uh, then they also do not need to inform me when they come a little bit later in in the morning. Um, and here comes again the element of of trust. Yeah, I, I think also in this respect, um, leaving aside the the regulatory requirements. Um, there is a, a, a strong uh, focus on the necessity uh, to allow um, interaction even on a remote basis and uh, teamwork to, to function uh, in, a, in a teleworking uh, dimension. Because uh, just to take a rough example, um, if, you, if you expect colleagues to be <laughs> available during the same time slots, it means that um, you cannot have a colleague during a footing uh, without uh, giving a proper notice uh, in the middle of the afternoon because no, these are normal working, working hours. So fle flexible working time um, needs to, to take these elements into account and to make sure that you uh, always uh, leave the possibility for a teamwork to be performed mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a remote working environment. I mean, when we look back at this time, how are we going to judge whether what system is best? Practice will tell us, I would say. I, I think we, we are, as mentioned before, we, we have this um, rather old-fashioned way of how we work, or at least we used to have it until the pandemic. And so now things have been shifting quite rapidly. And I guess we need some time to, to, to change our mindset. We see some younger companies, startups, which already started with this uh, mindset, but maybe in... Um, more established companies, it will take a little bit more time, but we see definitely that there is an evolution um, which is uh, coming its way, but everyone needs to, to adapt uh, oneself to this new situation. 
Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. And, and I think the situation created pand by the pandemic ha has been a kind of a way to, to test that in, in a very large scale and, and very suddenly. And, and I think indeed, and that's what we are also here thinking about is this will remain to a certain extent, uh, this, this way of working. And that's why we, we are kind of considering this new normal. Huh? So, so it's not something only that, that is existing during this pandemic, but uh, large parts of this will stay. And um, we, we kind of, it's very important to, to look at this from all the relevant perspectives to make sure that these models work in, in a sound manner. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a very personal question for each and every one of us, because that also leads us to the question of the right uh, to deconnect, because if you do not uh, make the difference between your workplace and your home, uh, because you work a lot at home, um, then where is actually the time where you um, you completely deconnect from, from your work? And I think it is very important to take holidays from time to time and also to deconnect um, at least once uh, in a week. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Now, I'd just like to come back to digital issues for a second. Um, I know the topic of electronic signatures is quite a hot one. So uh, am I right in thinking that basically now all electronic signatures have the same value as something handwritten? That is not correct. You are <laughs> not <laughs> right in, in thinking that. So we have, um, there is a European regulation, so which directly applies in all EU member states, um, which um, categorizes electronic signatures in three different types. So we have simple electronic signatures, advanced electronic signatures, and qualified electronic signatures. And from the, the as regards to probative value, it's only um, the qualified electronic signature which has the same value than a handwritten signature. So um, we see uh, with our clients that they are nonetheless reluctant to use uh, qualified electronic signatures. So they uh, take certain risks um, in that respect, but it is because um, qualified electronic signatures are quite cumbersome and also expensive. Um, and so our general uh, recommendation um, is um, to make an analysis on a case-by-case -case basis and depending on um, actually the, the, um, uh, the impact of the document, so the risk which, which is related to it. So if we have a, a client in, our, in the fund industry uh, which gets the signature of an investor on a commitment letter uh, to invest in the fund of several um, millions, um, several hundred millions, uh, then obviously my recommendation is to, to go on or to accept only a qualified electronic signature. Now, if you have board minutes, for example, which is only a document which is documenting uh, a decision which was taken by uh, a corporate body, uh, there obviously you could use an advanced electronic signature or even a uh, simple electronic signature. So, um, those are the, the questions which um, our clients um, raise. Um, and then for me, the electronic signature is, however, an, a very important a key element actually in the global digitalization process of, of companies and to become paperless. Um, and it goes with, the, with also an electronic archiving um, of their documents. Um, and then maybe um, we can mention that there is an additional tool which is on its way an additional tool for this digitalization process, which is um, the e-billing. 
Um, so there will be an obligation for companies who are participating in public procurement to submit their invoices um, electronically, so in a structured way that is based on European um, standards, which may then be processed and paid um, electronically and automatically. So this will be uh, become, and I, I assume that it will over time become generalized and used by, uh, by the majority of the companies. Yes, and, and maybe just to quickly mention two very interesting developments in, in the regulated sphere is that um, you have obviously a number of uh, investor protection rules uh, in, in, let's say, financial regulation. And what we see, for instance, and it has been introduced by the so-called MIFID Quick Fix uh, Directive, is that now regulators accept that uh, investors and clients and consumers can be informed via electronic communications as opposed to paper-based uh, communications. So for instance, in, in MIFID investment services like investment advice, portfolio management, uh, kind of execution of orders and financial instruments, the kind of by default now, banks can inform clients about risks, about costs, about things like that electronically although beforehand it was very, very much paper focused. There's one important point and the other extremely interesting development is, is kind of in the onboarding area and the AML area, because when you onboard a new client, of course, you need to identify the client, you need to make sure uh, that it is the person is who the person claims to be. And, and here we also seeing all of these possibilities to use video identification to use digital ID, to use all of these type of elements to facilitate the non-face-to-face -face onboarding. Uh, these have also taken kind of a real uh, lifting off and, and, and are used more and more and, and, and regulators have given interesting guidance on you know, what, what are the kind of mitigation measures to uh, kind of address the risks that have been brought on by these more kind of distance uh, relationships. It feels like this is one area where the fintech sector is sort of leading the way and then traditional banks are, are, are catching up. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even from an HR perspective, you, you see that more and more communication is also done uh, electronically, whereas before everyone liked you to have everything in, in paper form, wet ink signatures. And uh, so we have an, uh, an increase in requests regarding um, the validity of uh, enforcing basically documents upon employees which are just circulated electronically. Mm -hmm. And that's where Astrid and I um, very often work together to, uh, to, to get the answer to those questions and to know, is it enforceable to send just a document electronically to the employee? And to run practical examples, for example, uh, the um, homeworking policies, which are now implemented post-crisis, where the question is, do we have to distribute it in paper form to all employees, or can we just publish it, for example, on our intranet and ask the employees to, to click and accept? I mean, it feels common sense that we can use digital tools for that sort of communication, w wouldn't you say? Yes, it, is certain, it certainly is. Now, you always have the burden of proof to evidence that uh, the person was in a situation to, to get knowledge um, of it and how you can evidence that, that um, the information has reached uh, the relevant person. So. Yeah, but I, I agree. I think it's, it's, it's kind of important because, you know, listening to, to a lot of marketing discussions, etc., around these are valued signatures, etc., I, I think it's nevertheless quite important to not avoid this legal analysis and really look at you know what what are you really looking at because uh, 
as, as Astrid said, uh, the type of signature can have very fundamental uh, impacts on, on, on its validity. And I think if you hear about talk and kind of also choosing the right provider, because you could mm -hmm. have, for instance, what we have seen is that a certain specific type of signature is offered by uh, kind of leading providers from the US, but they have European entity and others. And even if the European entity can give you the, the kind of right valid signature, a lot of providers did not really pay attention and, for example, used the, the, the US uh, version of the tool mm -hmm. and uh, not realizing that they have this alternative that gives them the legal certainty. So I think it's less important to, uh, to look at it uh, a bit more closely. Mm -hmm. Now, Tirhi, we you talked a, a little bit earlier on about where we work has will have an increasing impact on potential our tax uh, liabilities. Uh, but let's just say I was a cross-border worker myself. Uh, I am working there at home in, in France. Are there are there other potential risks if I end up working there more than I possibly pre you know predicted to? Oh yes, yes. There there, there are there are risks um, for for the employee becoming taxable uh, for, a, for a higher amount of taxes at the end of the day, uh, but th there are risks for, uh, for the employer as well. And I think that um, going forward, a strict observance and monitoring of these uh, thresholds uh, will, be, uh, will be the new normal. Uh, from, from, from the employer's perspective, so exceeding these thresholds could uh, entail uh, significant compliance costs and risks. And I think uh, that also those who believe that um, they should not worry too much about uh, these taxation rules and that the actual place they work from uh, will go uh, unnoticed uh, could face difficult times. Because uh, obviously uh, also the tax authorities increasingly use information technology and big data uh, during their tax audits. And as I was saying before, uh, that's easy money tax authorities to collect and uh, the stakes are quite significant and uh, employers should be uh, should be prepared and have the right mindset in that respect as well and philippe from an employment law perspective if i end up working all my time in france when officially i'm doing a a, a luxembourg job is that is that a risk from your perspective yeah sure i mean you have the, the tax risk you have the social security risk that you need to affiliate the employee uh, with foreign social security and you have an additional risk, which is that foreign employment laws could become applicable. And in Luxembourg, we have a rather flexible uh, labor code and uh, employment laws and, and regulations. So as an employer, you could have the surprise that you are facing a very different set of laws if your employee is working in majority or uh, on a full-time basis uh, from outside Luxembourg. And an additional risk are also uh, work-related accidents. So you need to, to know where your employees are at what moment in time. Because if an employee works from abroad uh, without this being noticed by the employer and the employee has an accident, for example, you might also face questions um, from the authorities here in Luxembourg whether this is or qualifies as a work-related accident or whether it is a private accident. So um, a lot of uh, questions uh, might rise at that moment. Yeah, and I think ge geography is also key, I would say, in, in, in the regulated space because here you have really uh, a very strong uh, uh, expectation from the regulator that the kind of decision-taking regarding the regulated business remains in Luxembourg. So that's this concept of regulatory substance. And 
you have to have always sufficient personnel in terms of quality and quantity in Luxembourg. So for instance, uh, on site, you will always need one of the senior managers. So uh, we cannot have uh, the whole executive committee around the pool in Spain uh, taking decisions for, for four banks. So that's really one of, at least one must be in the office. The key functions must be re sufficiently represented uh, in the office, etc. So from for, for regulated entities, there's clearly this idea that the key decision taking uh, must remain in Luxembourg. And, and then also, I think there's a real also distinction depending on function. So some functions is less of an issue if they if they work remotely, some their presence is just necessary regarding, for instance, a number of front office functions or IT, key IT maintenance and administration functions, trading, business. And, and so potentially for some employees, that may mean that they can do some things remotely, you know, review their emails, do trainings, do a number of things, but not necessarily the, 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 the core function of their, their, their job. So, so you really, this kind of geography is also an important consideration for, for regulated entities. And uh, am I right in thinking that uh, board members need to be especially cautious here? I mean, for example, let's say I'm a board member. Uh, once again, in France, two friends come over. They're also board members. Uh, it sounds like we could accidentally have a board meeting in France. That can't be good, can it, Thierry? No, you're absolutely right, Jim. Um, and, and that's, um, I would say, another element of tax risk, which is sometimes overlooked. Uh, and it's uh, related to the, the risk of recognition of a permanent establishment. Um, in, a, in a situation where uh, tax authorities in a certain country uh, can consider that the home of the employee is put at the disposal of the employer, and put at the disposal is, is, is a tax <laughs> word. Um, in, in these situations, so the tax authorities can consider that the Luxembourg employer as a permanent establishment in the foreign country due to uh, the, the home working uh, situation of the uh, of the cross-border employee um, that that is definitely <laughs> um, a very uh, unhappy situation because that will lead to significant tax costs and and compliance issues for the employer uh, that will meet increased taxes and, and quite uh, severe sanctions uh, for undisclosed uh, permanent establishments. Um, the example uh, you were you were giving is, is is a good example. So if you have uh, senior uh, executives of a company uh, performing management functions uh, in their home, uh, that's uh, that's not a good situation. For um, certain people also having sales functions, if they uh, if they use uh, their home to invite clients. Uh, that's also a, a very uh, a very bad uh, situation. So these situations should be uh, certainly monitored in a special manner. Another point I wanted to to make also um, quite uh, strangely, but that's how tax rules are uh, are built. Um, you have more favorable tax rules applying uh, when you have lux residents uh, employees working uh, working abroad because in that situation, you don't have the 19 or 34, uh, 34 days uh, limit uh, that, uh, that applies. Um, you, you will generally uh, be able uh, to work in uh, these countries, the example of uh, working uh, 
um, near the, the pool in Spain uh, for a Luxembourg resident employee. Uh, that is something that is manageable to a certain extent. You will, of course, uh, make sure that you don't create a Luxembourg uh, employer risk in Spain to the recognition of a, of a Spanish permanent establishment, but you don't have to monitor the number of days in the same manner, uh, quite uh, strangely enough. Of course, it makes me wonder how many people in this pandemic have been working in Spain and actually just not told anyone. Uh, but that's more of a human resource <laughs> issue, I, I suspect. Yes, and I, I must say that my, my Spanish tax colleagues um, consider that um, this could uh, fuel the appetite of the Spanish tax authorities and say, well, <laughs> once, uh, once we will be back to new normal, uh, let's monitor that and try to see if we can raise some, some taxes. As we move towards the end of this Aren't We Live, I'd like to go round our panel and uh, ask for you one specific piece of advice that you'd like to give to your clients. Mark. I would say prepare for the new normal and, and don't miss an angle. Uh, we, we have seen there tax labels, data protection, regulatory, electric signature. So, so it's multifaceted and I would say prepare for it and, and don't miss an aspect. Uh, Philippe? Well, I guess my piece of advice is to say that the working place is evolving, so you need to be agile, but anticipate. Verify your, your legal setup ahead. Make sure you have um, a robust, flexible working policy, because there will be no way around flexibility. If you want to uh, attract and remain, have your talents remaining in the company, you need to offer this flexibility, but you have to take into account all the angles that Mark uh, mentioned before as well. Astrid. Uh, my piece of advice to, um, to the audience would be to take a step back and to analyze what was implemented a bit in a rush uh, in terms of digitalization at the beginning of the pandemic um, to make um, legal analysis as well um, and to take remediation um, actions where necessary and then to continue investing in digitalization uh, but also without forgetting um, the security of information. And Thierry. So for those employers, and I think that's the majority of them, uh, who are not necessarily prepared, um, the, the reintroduction of the standard tax rules uh, after the pandemic will mean that they will have to assess their, their current situation, adopt quick fixes, uh, the secure the, the relevant position, and make sure they monitor the compliance with their working policy on a long-term basis. Thank you very much. This has been Arendt We Live number five, the new normal in 2022, evolution or revolution. This is Jim Kent. Look forward to you tuning in to the next podcast. Mm -hmm.